Welcome to the York County Economic Alliance podcast, produced in partnership with BizNews PA. I'm Joel Berg, editor and founder of BizNews PA. Today, we'll be talking about agriculture in York County, an area that boasts more than 2,000 farms. Our guests are Julie Flinchbaugh, a co-owner of Flinchbaugh's Orchards, a fourth-generation farm business, Taylor Groff, owner of Groff Julius, a contractor that specializes in agriculture, and Bruce Miller, a York County farmer and former ag lender in South Central PA. What do you see as the biggest challenges facing farmers and agricultural businesses in New York County today? Yeah, there's a, a ton of challenges. I mean, I think part of agriculture's every day is a, presents its own challenge. What's you know what's unique about the the agricultural world is people are largely resourceful and and they're they're mm-hmm. problem solvers and and people that you know work in that space I think are just known for being a bit resilient. And so um, there's always going to be challenges. There's there's commodity challenges. You know, unlike a lot of industries, there's there's constant flow, constant up and down of of it, input costs and and costs you know or, or sale prices uh, etc. But I think um, innovation is going to be absolutely critical to all facets of agriculture. Uh, the folks that succeed in agriculture are the ones that uh, Julie mentioned earlier today about you know, they're not afraid to change. Folks that are afraid to change or don't want change are the ones that suffer 99% of the time, it seems. Um, so, you know, the, the folks that are, are always looking for the next way to better market their products or to better produce their products um, and to run their businesses like a business which tends to be forgotten about sometimes in agriculture. Those are some of the, the things that I think are important. Bruce, what do you see? What I see is the largest challenge to some of the York County farms is that traditional farm family, that family operation that by the numbers is most likely non-viable, by the numbers is most likely not even profitable. And how that, that business is going to transition with the leadership and the management being in their 60s and 70s, what can they do in order to reconfigure the operation so it becomes profitable? And unfortunately, many of those basic farm family operations tend not to survive to the next generation. And um, I, I kind of suspect we'll continue to see that basic farm family group um, go down in numbers. And Julie, you're a member of a farm family. Yes. <laughs> uh, I, I will say that I, I can see that. I can see that. Um, I give compliments to my parents in that they recognize the need to adapt and change and to look to the future. Um, I was just talking to an attorney here earlier who talked about they only see businesses, family businesses, when there's 10 attorneys at the table arguing it out over business. And my parents were very much, when we were eight years old, we were sitting at the table. We maybe didn't have a solution to the current problem that our farm was facing or my family was facing as a business, but we were talking about it with them. And so then when we got to be 18 years old and 28 years old and up, we were able to still talk, sit down at that table and communicate and talk it out. And I think that is a huge part of it because my parents were very, very transparent about what they were doing. This is hard. This is going to be tough but this is the reward you get. And so my parents were very much like, if you wanna be a part of this, we're happy to have you, but you don't have to be. And so my parents took the steps to make sure if we wanted to be involved, we could do it in a very um, direct way. Um, And they were okay letting go of that. And they were okay to try new things and to let us try new things in that business. 
Did you ever, did you ever have second thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> well, of course. Everyone has second thoughts. Maybe third and fourth thoughts. No, you know, I graduated um, from Penn State in 06, and I became market manager directly afterwards in uh, 06. And I, I, you know, I was making the decision when I was high schooler that likely I was coming back to the farm. My parents told us we had to work away at the farm to make sure that's what we want to do. And I did that during my college career. And I realized, yeah, the corporate role is not for me. Um, can't stand how inefficient it is. Sorry, those of you that are in the corporate world out there. Um, I can't stand the inefficiencies and the uh, touching it and feeling it is hard when you are just a number. And I don't think every corporation deals with it like that. But um, so yes, there was some second thoughts along the way. I think my brothers, I'm sure, had second thoughts. And there's some days where I'm just like, I'm gonna quit. I'm gonna walk away and just forget it all. But um, I'm not because I truly love what I do. And I told my husband when I first met him, I love what I do. And I will tell him uh, 12 years later, I love what I do, no matter if I have a few more gray hairs because of it. <laughs> Bruce, you own a farm as well. And I was curious in, in listening to your answer, what you th- what is the future for your farm? The, the farm that I have has been our, in our family for more than 250 years. My wife grew up on a dairy farm. So when we got married, we figured we needed a farm. So we bought a farm. And then we uh, also bought my parents' farm, which came down through the, the family. And we have the typical York County family farm. It's non-viable, it's non-profitable, there's no transition plan. It, it, it's such a huge asset in anyone's balance sheet, you, you can't even give it away because you, you need to be fair to all the other kids. And, and here is a 100-acre York County farm valued at a million dollars. And one kid gets a farm and the other kid gets what's ever left over of my 401k. And it's like, this isn't fair. Well, that's agriculture. Mm-hmm. And to make those hard decisions and to have the next generation understand the decisions that need to be made is, is very painful. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's exactly what this middle market is, is troubled with. There's just no way to go. Um, I look at the family farm. Uh, the only way I can see bringing profitability back to it is we need to get the consumer dollar. And if we're going to look for the consumer dollar, I don't want to have to do that. I want the next generation to do that. It needs to be their vision, their plan, their idea. I'll provide the real estate, but they need the business plan. It can't be my plan because it's it's not what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Is that the plan then for what? For your... Right now we have no plan. <laughs> <laughs> right now, um, there there could be a family member that wants it. I have three daughters, and two of the three do not want it. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. but can you just give a farm? Yeah, yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so I don't want to be all doom and gloom, but and I guess. You, you had talked about some innovations um, in, in farming and agriculture. What are you seeing, um, what, what are your clients doing that you consider particularly innovative that you see as sort of maybe the future for farm businesses? Yeah, so I, again, across the agribusiness spectrum, I mean, I think the, the successful uh, 
entrepreneurs are they're constantly looking at better ways to market their products, better ways to make their products, um, ways to be more efficient in the field or in the manufacturing facility. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of ways uh, to do that, right? Uh, largely equipment and technology, I mean, is what's driving a big part of that automation, whether you're crop farming, whether you're, um, you know, whether you're processing really any agricultural raw material technology and, and automation are being a, a big part of that. Um, and so I, I would say those are the probably the number one and two uh, biggest, biggest things that folks are investing in where it makes sense. Um, so in other particular directions that they're going in in terms of innovation in terms of whether trying to reach the consumer market or trying to reach other markets overseas or yeah so i i think we were talking earlier about um you know from a farming perspective there's there's um there's there's entities out there that are looking to kind of cut out some of the the middle uh middle ground right and so whether they're they're um, handling you know their own marketing of grain to whether it be a human food manufacturer we're seeing a lot of that you know whether it's uh you know somebody um providing uh, we mentioned corn as an example earlier to uh, to a human food um, producer making tortilla chips, right? That, that likely has a better margin than selling it to a feed manufacturer to grind it in the poultry feed. So we're seeing things like that. We're seeing um, you know customers that are, are packaging their own soybeans and shipping them overseas. Again, not an easy thing to do, but um, they're finding you know significant increased margin in demand um, to to do that. So those those are a few few examples. So. Great. And Jill, you're in the consumer facing business as well in the ag side. So what do you see as a particular challenges there and how do you kind of keep up with them? Yeah. So one of the main things, and it's something that has, uh, I don't think it has affected us too badly, but just the, the scarcity of uh, skilled employees um, and looking at, um, I hire for personality and for friendliness. And um, I think that fortunately people know that our market and our retail like that's who we are so someone that's seeking a position like that is seeking us and so we haven't had an issue with that but at the end of the day it still has been a a scare for me to worry about who's going to be working for me and you know the the seasonality of our business the high seasons and the low seasons affect who i can hire because i can't provide year-round employment for some of the best people out there i can't unfortunately i can hire only so many people that i can keep you around um and so um you know hiring is is scary we're always gonna i always say it's my community service we're gonna be hiring those younger individuals because they're gonna live with me work with me live with us in our business for a period of their life and then they're going to move on and so that's always sad and a hard thing for me to see that um I'm going to let go of someone great, but I've done a great job letting them go (laughs) and building them while they're there. Um, This is on a different track, of course, but also a current current event. How do you, how has inflation impacted the business? Do you see more people switching to shop for you? Yeah, so in 2020, we had a huge, huge bump. Um, We saw growth that we were not prepared for, growth that I was like... (gasps) I can't handle all this growth. It's great. It was a blessing. Uh, And then there was the fear after there, like, oh my gosh, it's just going to fall off. It's going to fall off. I'm never going to see. And while we haven't seen growth like that, which I prefer a steady, solid growth rather than extreme growth, um, I've seen people consistency stay um, and a slow, that growth, that solid growth come back. Um, Inflation has affected us. I mean, every day I get price sheets in and I'm making changes to my pricing. It is what it is. And uh, sure, you can go to Walmart and get milk for X amount of price, and I have to charge 1X more. Um, But I know the quality of products going out my door, and I'm going to stand behind that. So um, 
I have seen it, but I can't say that people have shied away from it. And as far as we do a lot of agritourism, people have not left the agritourism world. If anything, they've gone more. People want experience. They're going to pay for experience. They're not going to buy the chocolate covered strawberries as much, but they're going to still spend $15 to go pick their own apples, go do a corn maze and take a wagon ride. They still want something tangible and you can't get that in a lot of places. Yeah, not at Walmart. No, you can't. You know, they're not going to get to sample the apples at Walmart before they make their selection of the 20 different apples. So people still want that tangible. And I, as much as we become a one-sided world where we're on a screen only and we don't get a response, people are still craving it. We were made to crave interaction. And so people are still doing that. And to me, they're part of walking in my market is to have that, is to, you know, they're getting more than just the food that they're walking out with. So this is my question for all of you, but do you think that more farms could be doing that, doing what Flinch Boss is doing? Is, is, that, um, is that a model for other farms in New York County that are smaller, that don't have maybe as much land there, so that they're currently non-viable, non-profitable? Um, it's an option. Um, however, it takes a certain personality. <laughs> it takes a location where you have people. Um, York County is very, very fortunate in the fact that we have a lot of people, 40 million people within a day's drive. And that's a huge pool to draw from. And um, a bed and breakfast on a farm where somebody goes back into the 1930s and work on the farm and live on the farm for a week at a time and feed the pigs and do all that. I think that would be a wonderful model. And I think there would be a constant stream of people wanting to experience that. And to live in a house where there's a wood wood burning stove and and uh, well you need to have a bathroom but but something <laughs> just a little bit less um, I think that's a real good opportunity. However, it takes that's that's a whole business of its own, and and it takes capital in order to make those improvements. It takes time and professional help to get the permits to get everything in place. Uh, the internet access. Um, unfortunately, parts of York County still lack high-speed internet. And with that kind of a, a shortcoming, it's more difficult for those farms to, to compete. I think agriculture is uh, very bright. The future for agriculture is very bright at this point. 2001, 2022, uh, 2021, and 2022 were outstanding profitable years for farmers. Some of the best years in agriculture, maybe like the third or fourth most profitable year. And, uh, and so farmers, they have some cash now and uh, they, they have some opportunities. So, so I think uh, we, we talk about the large scale operators. I, I believe they're providing some, some business opportunities for Taylor in his business because now they can, they can look at taking that next step. Mm -hmm. um, it, it just, to get a hold of that consumer relationship, that consumer um, sale is, is critical to the, the smaller operations that don't have the advantages of, of, uh, of being of a large size and scale and scope. 
Taylor, did you have some thoughts on that? Or? I think in general, I mean, the consumer definitely seems to have conviction about where their food comes from. And that's a growing segment, especially you know, if we look at the world today. You know, there's there's a lot of reasons why um, people should want to know about uh, where their food comes from and even get more involved in the process of, you know, uh, creating their own food. I think you're seeing a big drive um, for that, too. Agritourism is a tough thing. I mean, I can certainly uh, say the experiences I've had in my life um that you know what Julie and her family uh, do to do that successfully is not is not easy, and so um, again, I I think it's a it's an awesome uh, opportunity for farmers to to integrate and, and handle um, you know more of the sale of their product, being more intimately involved in that. But you know, it, as Bruce mentioned, it's capital intensive, and you got to be in the right area, you got to have the right model, and you got to have the right business mindset to to execute on it. So. Um, you know, I encourage anybody that to, in, in agriculture to be able to take their products to the next level. It's just, you know, it is not, it's not for everybody. Yeah, sometimes a different skill set even to do that, right? I mean, farming is, farming is one skill yeah. set, but it yeah. sounds like the future is trying to learn a different skill set, which is how do you do these other things that are yeah. not the, sort of the basic business. My brothers farming. would not enjoy doing what I do. I would not enjoy doing what they do. They handle production. I handle retail. They don't. They do well with people, but not, it's not their forte, it's not their love. So you have to make sure you do have, you know, it's fortunate that, um, but I'll say this, you know, when we built our farm market in 2006, or we opened it in 2006, you know, we crop farm too, 2,200 acres of corn, soybeans, whatever. And, you know, my brother said, if we want to stay sustainable as a crop farmer, we need to have an outlet that the consumer can reach out to us because they don't understand what that big rig is running across the farm next to them. They don't understand what's going down the road. And so they can come into our market and talk to us. And so we are a face to that bigger agriculture picture. And so, and we're willing to talk about it. So that kind of, you know, they kind of mesh together um, quite well actually. And they serve a, a dual purpose there. I just recently read a survey where uh, nationwide, this survey went out, and 39% of the public do not know a farmer. Mm. They cannot name a farmer, 39% of the public. And 26% of that general pool don't even know where to go to find a farmer. They've never even seen a farm. They, they have no desire to understand what a farm looks like. And that's an educational uh, shortcoming of agriculture. And we need to address that. And that needs addressed in order to uh, be able to enhance our, our vertical integration, yeah. in order to enhance the consumer relationship. And, and that education will also help solve the problem of people feeling the need to have only cheap food and to have food that, that is of quality. And if it's of quality, it, it's at a price that can be affordable for mm -hmm. the farmer. So we talked a bit about obviously a lot about what farmers and ag businesses can do, but is there a role in any of this for government policy in, ter in terms of making it easier a to make those investments or b to work around? Like if you wanted to put a a bed and breakfast on a farm, there's obviously a lot of zoning rules, what have you, that need to get involved in agritourism, I'm sure, which is a whole world into itself. But are there issues? Is there a role for government policy in all of this? And we can make that the last question. <laughs> Uh, <clears throat> of course, we all know the Farm Bill is uh, being considered in D.C. right now. And uh, uh, unfortunately, uh, my expectation is the Farm Bill is not going to be as friendly to the full-time farmers as what it was in the past. 
And um, once you start designing a farm bill that favors smaller operations, favors operations that tend to be supported by other income sources, um, that doesn't go over well with the public. And so to have government regulate government funding that would help small part-time farms um, probably won't happen. Uh, I think the economics need to make it a worthy project. Mm -hmm. And if the economics work, it can go through commercial lending. It can go through residential lending. Um, it, it's going to be, if you don't have those economics in place, you don't have a long-term viable business. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, it's a great question. I think um, I certainly echo some of um, Bruce's comments. Um, you know, it, the, the U.S. government should continue to support U.S. farmers of all shapes and sizes, right? That is critical. I mean, the farm infrastructure, agricultural infrastructure is critical to this nation's continued growth and prosperity. I, I'd say the one the one thing that comes to mind that, um, that I think we should be ultra- uh, um, uh, conservative about is you know foreign entities purchasing farmland and foreign entities setting up you know large production facilities um, in various uh, areas of the country. So the example there's one in North Dakota here recently that was you know turned down. You may have seen that in the news. Um, decisions like that for local, state, you know federal governments to say hey this is not okay and and have solid reasons behind that. I think make a make a lot of sense, right? You know, we have a hard enough time saving farmland from our own commercial uh, growth as a country, which you know a lot of that is positive to the country as well. But when we have you know foreign entities buying up farm ground, and that that becomes a, a dangerous thing, in my perspective. Thanks, Taylor. Julie, how about you? Yeah, uh, you know, I come back to thinking about Bruce's point about you know how those small farms can be viable enough. You know, so many times people think. 98% of farms in the U.S. are family-owned, and that's forgotten because you see a corporation or LLC behind the name. I just talked about corporations, but you know my family is an LLC for lots of reasons, and um, you know we have our land in an LP, and we're protecting our assets and we're protecting our business to move forward. And like I think that if we're going to ask the government to be a part of that, they need to be selective. <laughs> They need to be addressing the actual issues beneath it. Like, what do we want? What do we want the future of agriculture to be? Do we want to be sustainable, or do we just want to push a small business so another small business starts? So I think we need to look big, big picture there. And what is a farm bill's length? Ten years? Five. Not five. Five. Why do I say ten? Five years. You know. So I don't think the farm bill should just be looking at five-year perspective. I think it needs to be looking what implications that farm bill is going to have on the 10, because the next five years is going to make a difference on the total 10. So mm -hmm. what are we looking at there? So looking at the future of farming at 10, 20 years from now yes. versus just the next five years. Yes, absolutely. I think sometimes we look too short-term. I mean, the short-term things are what make that long. but. Um, yeah, this is a yes or no question, but not really. <laughs> and will that future be different than it is today? Yeah, I do. Yeah. It's going to look differently. Bert? I agree. Absolutely. I, I think uh, if we just look back 10 years, yeah. the way we farmed 10 years ago, and just the amount of technology that came into the combine and the tractors and, and the planning, um, that technology quadrupled yeah. in no, the last easily. 10 years. Easily. Yeah. And and what's ahead of us? I mean, we're talking about driverless tractors. 
uh, they're they're being tested right now and we're talking about uh, corn planters that will plant four or five different kinds of seed based upon soil type and one planter passing through the field is going to select the seed based upon the soil based upon whether it's in the irrigated part or the non-irrigated part and and that level of technology did you know that the highest level of corn production last year the most bushels per acre was 626 bushels in georgia to give you perspective, what locally is 165? To uh, 210. To, well, look, probably the average is a little lower than that. Well, we, we're on good soil. Well, right. I mean, <laughs> yes. Just to give you perspective, I would yes. say 175 yeah. for your county. Yes. To be fair. Yes. Let's be, so, to give them a perspective, so what, 600 than, to 175? Yes. That's so more that's than three times more productive. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Sorry, Julie. Yeah, I just wanted to give that perspective of <laughs> yeah, no, how big you. that is. Uh, Julie's farm is actually in some We're of the... We're at 425. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Totally not. <laughs> They're in some of the best soils in York County. Yeah. Conestoga with silt loam in the valley there. And uh, those soils are, are very, very productive. And you have an orchard and you have uh, wonderful crops. Right. I didn't mean to cut off your point. I just... I, I, I That I, blows my mind. And when I think of... I, I don't know what the I don't know what the the FSA would say the average is, but like no. I thought everybody would know that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't even know it. Um, Do you know it? What's that? What the average is for like the county? Oh no, but I would say it's got to be less than two hundred. It's, it's under it's under two hundred. The, the ASCS yeah. number yes. is is like one hundred and thirty six. Oh wow, one hundred and twenty six so something like than... that, and that's based upon soil type. Sure. Yeah. And and that's an old number. Yeah. But if you talk about the commercial farmers, mm-hmm. I mean, if they're not making two hundred bushel, they're not making a profit. And that's the technology that's that's driving that. Well. Yes. From seed to equipment to fertilizer to everything, everything together, yeah. Yeah. management overall. Well, thank you all very much. Yeah, thank you. We appreciate it. Thank you for joining us on this edition of the York County Economic Alliance podcast produced in partnership with BizNews PA. Join us next month as we discuss the Bloom Business Empowerment Center, a YCEA initiative to provide capital and other support to entrepreneurs from underrepresented communities.